Chapter 14 of The Life and Adventures of Nat Love, also known as Deadwood Dick. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life and Adventures of Nat Love, written by Nat Love. Chapter 14 Riding the Range, The Fight with Yellow Dog's Tribe I am captured and adopted by the Indians. My escape. I ride a hundred miles in twelve hours without a saddle. My Indian pony. Yellow Dog Chief. The boys present me with a new outfit. In the saddle and on the trail again. It was a bright, clear fall day, October 4, 1876, that quite a large number of us boys started out over the range hunting strays, which had been lost for some time. We had scattered over the range, and I was riding along alone, when all at once I heard the well-known Indian war-whoop, and noticed not far away a large party of Indians making straight for me. They were all well-mounted, and they were in full war-paint, which showed me that they were on the war-path, and as I was alone and had no wish to be scalped by them, I decided to run for it. So I headed for Yellow Horse Canyon, and gave my horse the rein. But as I had considerable objection to being chased by a lot of painted savages without some remonstrance, I turned in my saddle every once in a while and gave them a shot by way of greeting, and I had the satisfaction of seeing a painted brave tumble from his horse and go rolling in the dust every time my rifle spoke, and the Indians were by no means idle all this time, as their bullets were singing around me rather lively, one of them passing through my thigh, but it did not amount to much. Reaching Yellow Horse Canyon, I had about decided to stop and make a stand when one of their bullets caught me in the leg, passing clear through it and then through my horse, killing him. Quickly falling behind him, I used his dead body for a breastwork and stood the Indians off for a long time, as my aim was so deadly and they had lost so many that they were careful to keep out of range. But finally my ammunition gave out, and the Indians were quick to find this out and they at once closed in on me. But I was by no means subdued, wounded as I was, and almost out of my head, and I fought with my empty gun until finally overpowered. When I came to my senses, I was in the Indian's camp. My wounds had been dressed with some kind of herbs. The wound in my breast, just over the heart, was covered thickly with herbs and bound up. My nose had been nearly cut off. Also, one of my fingers had been nearly cut off. These wounds I received when I was fighting my captors with my empty gun. What caused them to spare my life I cannot tell, but it was, I think, partly because I had proved myself a brave man, and all savages admire a brave man, and when they captured a man whose fighting powers were out of the ordinary, they generally kept him, if possible, as he was needed in the tribe. Then again Yellow Dog's tribe was composed largely of half-breeds, and there was a large percentage of colored blood in the tribe, and as I was a colored man they wanted to keep me as they thought I was too good a man to die. Be that as it may, they dressed my wounds and gave me plenty to eat, but the only grub they had was buffalo meat which they cooked over a fire of buffalo chips, but of this I had all I wanted to eat. For the first two days after my capture they kept me tied hand and foot. At the end of that time they untied my feet, but kept my hands tied for a couple of days longer, when I was given my freedom but was always closely watched by members of the tribe. Three days after my capture my ears were pierced and I was adopted into the tribe. 
The operation of piercing my ears was quite painful in the method used, as they had a small bone secured from a deer's leg, a small thin bone, rounded at the end and as sharp as a needle. This they used to make the holes. Then strings made from the tendons of a deer were inserted in place of thread, of which the Indians had none. Then horn ear-rings were placed in my ears, and the same kind of salve made from herbs which they placed on my wounds was placed on my ears, and they soon healed. The bullet-holes in my leg and breast also healed in a surprisingly short time. That was good salve, all right. As soon as I was well enough, I took part in the Indian dances. One kind or another was in progress all the time. The war dance and the medicine dance seemed the most popular. When in the war dance, the savages danced around me in a circle, making gestures, chanting, with every now and then a blood-curdling yell, always keeping time to a sort of music provided by stretching buffalo skins tightly over a hoop. When I was well enough, I joined the dances, and I think I soon made a good dancer. The medicine dance varies from the war dance, only that in the medicine dance the Indians danced around a boiling pot, the pot being filled with roots and water, and they dance around it while it boils. The medicine dance occurs about daylight. I very soon learned their ways and to understand them, though our conversation was mostly carried on by means of signs. They soon gave me to understand that I was to marry the chief's daughter, promising me one hundred ponies to do so, and she was literally thrown in my arms. As for the lady, she seemed perfectly willing, if not anxious, to become my bride. She was a beautiful woman, or rather girl. In fact, all the squaws of this tribe were good-looking out of the ordinary. But I had other notions just then, and did not want to get married under such circumstances. But for prudence' sake I seemed to enter into their plans, but at the same time keeping a sharp lookout for a chance to escape. I noted where the Indians kept their horses at night, even picking out the handsome and fleet Indian pony which I meant to use should opportunity occur and I seemed to fall in with the Indians' plans, and seemed to them so contented that they gave me more and more freedom, and relaxed the strict watch they had kept on me, and finally, in about thirty days from the time of my capture, my opportunity arrived. My wounds were now nearly well, and gave me no trouble. It was a dark, cloudy night, and the Indians, grown careless in their fancied security, had relaxed their watchfulness. After they had all thrown themselves on the ground and the quiet of the camp proclaimed them all asleep, I got up and, crawling on my hands and knees, using the greatest caution for fear of making a noise, I crawled about two hundred and fifty yards to where the horses were picketed, and going to the Indian pony I had already picked out, I slipped the skin thong in his mouth, which the Indians use for a bridle, one which I had secured and carried in my shirt for some time for this particular purpose. Then, springing to his back, I made for the open prairie in the direction of the home ranch in Texas, one hundred miles away. All that night I rode as fast as my horse could carry me, and the next morning, twelve hours after I left the Indian's camp, I was safe on the home ranch again, and my joy was without bounds. And such a reception as I received from the boys! They said they were just one day late, and if it hadn't been for a fight they had with some of the same tribe, they would have been to my relief. As it was, they did not expect to ever see me again alive. But they knew that if the Indians did not kill me and gave me only half a chance, I would get away from them. But now that I was safe home again, nothing mattered much and nothing was too good for me. 
It was a mystery to them how I managed to escape death with such wounds as I had received, the marks of which I will carry to my grave, and it is as much a mystery to me as the bullet that struck me in the breast just over the heart passed clear through, coming out my back just below the shoulder. Likewise the bullet in my leg passed clear through, then through my horse, killing him. Those Indians are certainly wonderful doctors. And then I am naturally tough, as I carry the marks of fourteen bullet wounds on different parts of my body, most any one of which would be sufficient to kill an ordinary man, but I am not even crippled. It seems to me that if ever a man bore a charm, I am that man, as I have had five horses shot from under me and killed, have fought Indians and Mexicans in all sorts of situations, and have been in more tight places than I can number. Yet... I have always managed to escape with only the mark of a bullet or knife as a reminder. The fight with the Yellow Dogs tribe is probably the closest call I ever had, and as close a call as I ever want. The fleet Indian pony which carried me to safety on that memorable hundred-mile ride I kept for about five years. I named him the Yellow Dog Chief, and he lived on the best the ranch afforded until his death, which occurred in 1881 never having anything to do except an occasional race, as he could run like a deer. I thought too much of him to use him on the trail, and he was the especial pet of everyone on the home ranch, and for miles around. I heard afterwards that the Indians pursued me that night for quite a distance, but I had too much to start, and besides, I had the fastest horse the Indians owned. I have never since met any of my captors of that time, as they knew better than to venture in our neighborhood again. My wound healed nicely, thanks to the good attention the Indians gave me. My captors took everything of value I had on me when captured. My rifle, which I especially prized for old association's sake, also my forty-fives, saddle and bridle, in fact my whole outfit, leaving me only the few clothes I had on at the time. My comrades did not propose to let this bother me long, however, because they all chipped in and bought me a new outfit, including the best rifle and revolvers that could be secured, and I had my pick of the ranch horses for another mount. During my short stay with the Indians I learned a great deal about them, their ways of living, sports, dances, and mode of warfare which proved of great benefit to me in after years. The oblong shields they carried were made from tanned buffalo hides, and so tough were they made that an arrow would not pierce them, although I have seen them shoot an arrow clean through a buffalo. Neither will a bullet pierce them unless the ball hits the shield square on, otherwise it glances off. All of them were exceedingly expert with the bow and arrow, and they are proud of their skill and are always practicing in an effort to excel each other. This rivalry extends even to the children who are seldom without their bows and arrows. They named me Buffalo Papoose, and we managed to make our wants known by means of signs, as I was not with them a sufficient length of time to learn their language. I learned from them that I had killed five of their number, and wounded three while they were chasing me and in the subsequent fight with my empty gun. The wounded men were hit in many places, but they were brought around all right the same as I was. After my escape, and after I arrived home, it was some time before I was again called to active duty, as the boys would not hear of me doing anything resembling work until I was thoroughly well and rested up. But I soon began to long for my saddle and the range, and when orders were received at the ranch for two thousand head of cattle to be delivered at Dodge City, Kansas, 
I insisted on taking the trail again. It was not with any sense of pride or in bravado that I recount here the fate of the men who have fallen at my hand. It is a terrible thing to kill a man, no matter what the cause. But as I am writing a true history of my life, I cannot leave these facts out. But every man who died at my hands was either seeking my life or died in open warfare, when it was a case of killing or of being killed. End of chapter 14